You are now listening to the Hunter's Advantage Podcast. We preserve the history and sport of hunting through curious conversation and action-packed hunts, as well as offering you tips and strategy for more successful hunts. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Hunter's Advantage Podcast. This is episode number 140. Two, we're in March already. Jake, how's it going? Are you? Uh, is your spring coming quickly? You fair weather worker. My, yes, <laughs> yes, fair fair weather. He he jokes because it's been raining like cats and dogs the last couple of days here in Oklahoma, and uh, today was one of those. And I cut work early because of that, so I'm now labeled as a fair weather worker. That's true. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I feel like all the nice parts of the year is like when you have to work and then all the dumpy parts of the year when you want to stay inside is like your slow season. But I guess that's good. It is good for deer season, but it seems like by the time your stuff slows down, it's like we're dead. We're like done with hunting for the year. It's like, I don't want to hunt. It's December. Yeah, but also it's it's colder than a witch's tit. And so it's just (laughs) like, I'm okay to stay inside, you know? Yeah. I, I get that you picked that career path because you just really value time with your family during the right, winter, right. Like the holidays. I, I picked it. Yep. <laughs> I picked it. <laughs> yep. I picked it. COVID had nothing to do with that. Yeah. No, go yeah, ahead. no, no. Um, so, <laughs> uh, so we recently, uh, published a video that we did a lot of research for, um, talking about a fairly controversial topic, I guess you could say in the deer woods, it seems like there's a lot of folks that are on one side of this, uh, this argument, but we did a video about the void. You've heard it called a lot of different things. The void, no man's land, no man's land. What's the other one? Uh, dead zone. The dead zone. That's right. Um, after the video was published, I got a text from our taxidermist and he, he said he calls it shoulder shock, but he a hundred percent believes in it. Shoulder shock. Yep. Okay. Interesting. I, uh, I think I have believed in it at one point, um, but you did a lot of research on this topic. We feel like we've had some experience with this topic. Um, why did you? Why did we want to do, or why did you want to do a video on the void? Is it because there's so much, like there's so many folks that are interested in this topic? Like we posted a a short form video on YouTube Shorts. I think it's probably our most commented on video on YouTube Shorts. Like people are very fired up about the void. Yeah, well. I mean, you know how we got into it because like, uh, last year we got on a roll on making those educational TikToks, right? And so if you have TikTok on your phone, be sure to check us out. Uh, hunting season's usually a little slow on informational stuff, but we're, we're starting to roll back around it and, uh, into those and they do fairly well, but late last year, that's what we were doing. We were just trying to bankroll those, those, uh, informational TikToks. And now we're putting in, putting putting them onto the YouTube shorts. And one of the, I mean, it's not like we knew it was going to be special or anything, but no, uh, it, you know, it was just one of those that popped off. And so we put it on shorts because now we're trying to convert all the old TikToks to the shorts just for more content wise. And yeah, that one really popped off and we're like, well, if that popped off, let's make it long form and try to go deeper into it. Is yeah, that what you're asking? Yeah, no, exactly. So we've I, I was I just realized we probably spent three minutes talking about the void. There's 
I'm sure most people know what the what, what it is, but if you had to give like a high level overview, what's the idea behind the void? You don't and, have to say if it's real or not. No, 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 I'm not. I'm not yet. Uh, <laughs> but to dumb it down for for uh, non-smart people just like myself, it's basically a little pocket of nothingness tucked in to the whitetail's chest cavity. And some people say like elk habit uh, and like like different like mule deer habit, different big game species. But uh, obviously from our experiences, we have no anecdotal evidence of those other types. But uh, yeah, and it's basically like a little pocket of nothingness above the lungs and below the back, uh, yeah, the spine, the backbone of the deer. So before you did all your research, don't lie. Before you did all your research, if you had to lean one way, like, yes, the void is real. I guess there could be a middle ground of like, maybe, or hell no, that's crazy. Which one, which side of the fence were you on before you started doing research? I believed in the void, like, like a hundred percent. And, and honestly, like I somewhat kind of still do in a way <laughs> now I want to <laughs> No, Yeah, I want to, but, but I mean, cause like, do they really know? Like, until obviously i'm sure we'll get into that i'm just gonna stop myself right now we'll get into that but yeah i did because of the like anecdotal evidence that that like i've had personally that that you've had i mean we've all seen those trail cam pics especially on our private land uh of those bullet hole wounds or broad head wounds that you know that look like they're like in the lungs and would be fatal, but here they are kicking. You know what I mean? Oh, one of the examples that I thought of that, like we're, we're putting another, we're putting another video together. I won't say what it is, but I was looking at a few, some, some kill shots and I was looking at that shot where I basically shish kebobbed that giant eight at Jesse's. Remember? Like it was like the first that, week yep. of October. And this was my, like, this was my experience that I was like, okay, this could be real because I shoot this buck, uh, probably a mid one thirties, eight dude, super mature buck. Like that would have been the biggest buck I'd ever shot at that point. And, um, what happened was I shot him, he ducks and you see my arrow go about halfway through him. It's sticking out on one side, sticking out on the other and he's running off and I don't spine him. And this like, I'm, I'm not a white tailed anatomy expert, but I was sitting there looking at it like, Okay, I got an arrow sticking out one side of the ear, sticking out the other. It's not in the spine. It's not in the lungs. Where the hell is it? You know, like that's that was my initial reaction. Like, and on video, it's in the, it, it's in the void. That's yeah, what I thought. And on the video, it it looks far enough down where where like you typically wouldn't think backstrap. You know what I mean? No, no, I know. And that those instances are the ones where I'm like, the void is a hundred percent real. Like, yeah. In those instances. Um, what experience do you lean on when you start thinking about the void? Like if you had to think of something like why is why something to support it or a reason that you thought it was real, is there any like shots that you think of? Yeah, I explained it in the video, uh, my personal experience with it. I think, uh, it was when we were hunting public and we were all setting basically 300 yards from each other. It was like, we were new to this piece and 
this was before I like I think even had a smartphone or Onyx or anything like that. And so like I was I was hugging. We close did not to have you. Onyx. <laughs> no. And uh, so we just kind of walked walked a little bit down this trail and set up. And me and Christian could basically see each other from where we were, but but like we were like on the opposite sides of this field, right? So yeah. And I set up and I remember this day because like I was struggling. It seems like every single time I see a bug, I just struggle uh, like that morning or that evening getting up into the stand. And <clears throat> I probably didn't get set down until like eight, eight fifteen or something like it's, it, it was, it's been light for a while. I remember this cause I was set up and I was watching you through my binos and you were getting up into the tree. It was, it was daylight. Like, yeah, it was like fully it, daylight. it was like my first time trying to like film out of a climber. You know what I mean? And so like positioning the camera arm with the climber, because you would think you can just, Oh, I'm just going to put it a little bit above the top piece of my climber wrong. Because when you sit down, your camera arm is going to be like two feet above your head. And so like, if you just go to film a doe, you don't want to have to stand up or whatever. Like I know there's some people that say, Oh, you stand up regardless whenever you see a deer or think you hear something. But in this climber, the front bars sawed off. And so typically out of that thing, I would just sit shooting or shoot sitting down. Mm-hmm. and uh so i just basically gave up on it and so that's why uh i want to that's my excuse why it wasn't on film at least yeah long story short i hear something behind me i'm sitting over this like little clear cut that has some tall grass grown up in it and i look at the noise and i see the butt of a deer and i'm like okay regardless of what it is buck doe i'm gonna shoot at it and it starts stepping out. Well, it happened to just be a really big buck. And it walks directly towards me. And then once it, like, we make eye contact, of course, it starts trying to prance off into the field. I stop it, draw back, shoot. This thing's just slightly quartered away, just ever so slightly. But it has its uh, broadside shoulder, the shoulder closest to me like up that foot is up like where he's about to take another step because I stopped him and he stopped mid stride and then his back foot or his, uh, his opposite side foot was like a little bit kind of mid body because he was like, he stopped mid stride. So he just, just where the shoulder was, I shot using my 30 pin and I cracked him. And I remember saying this and <laughs> I still think to this day, like this was the, the most confident I've ever been on a shot and shot. And I heard a big loud smack and I was like, I just hit shoulder, but it was the opposite shoulder. Mm-hmm. And this thing started trying to take off, went into a ditch digger. If you don't know what a ditch digger is, it's where he was tripping himself up where his face is basically dragging the dirt. And it's like, yeah, a ditch digger. Nothing. Hardly any blood. Oh, I Jer- no, I, ha- I have to I have to give my color. Okay. I so Jake and I are close enough where when you stopped him when you're like, man, I heard it from my tree. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> like we were that close. And when you shot and hit him, I heard the smack. And I'm not gonna attempt to do it really loud. Oh, but, I forgot about this. Yeah. But when you hit him, you heard the smack and when he's running off, all you hear, and you've seen this on TV hunting shows, like, and it's very disgusting when you see it. But there, I all I heard was, no, it was like, like yeah, like, like a, a roar as he's like in sticks. It was like, like every stick was breaking. 
a buck that is just running off that's not mortally wounded is not going to be smashing and crashing. Like I was like, and I watched on the other end of the field. I was like, I'm going to watch that way. If the steer gets out on the field, out, out of the field, I'm going to know like, Hey Jake, he went like right this way. And I never saw him exit the field. And when I walked down to Jake, I was like, dude, he's done. I was like, he didn't well, make it out of the field. <laughs> and I kind of felt bad at the, at the time because like literally I you showed down. Up, yeah. Like, like, as soon as I shot, I was like, I can't contain myself. I'm just going to get down, look for blood, and then get right back up in my stand. Because it was like early, early. Like, I don't even think it was 9 o'clock yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I got down and like looked around, and immediately I was like, I can't find any blood. Like, oh, no. But he like he's basically tripped himself up trying to run away. He started roaring, and, and like I was like, oh, like I'm still fairly confident. And, well, as I'm like getting down out of my stand, like I didn't think I was down for three minutes, and all of a sudden I see Christian – walking through the tall grass towards me and uh and i think you thought it was a doe i shot a doe or something because I did. yeah because uh you were like did you get her and of course we were still far away and i was trying to be quiet and i just held up my hands like like a rack and i was like big buck big buck and so long story short like christian was like i didn't see her go i didn't see him go out of out of, out of the field so like he's dead in the field let's go get him mm-hmm. and yeah but by the time it was all said and done, like by the time Jared got there and we talked about it, like it, it was probably, it probably was like 45 minutes, close to an hour. I yeah. Would say. And, and keep in context, like it, this is in 2017, I believe. And yes. this is the biggest deer any of us have shot by 40, 45 inches. Like this is a v- mid 140s, probably 12 yes. point. So, yeah. So to explain the deer, like he was a mainframe 12, but he broke off one of his tines i believe on the left side it was like the g3 or 4 maybe and it was broke but it would still score obviously because like it was broke like maybe a quarter of the way up so it it would still score like a little bit but uh that's beside the point and like don't, don't didn't even really care about that but i just i just seen like this narrow racked buck that looked like it had a hand on each side like it was just filled with points it seemed like and they were fairly tall too and i th- I still think to this day like that buck's probably in the 140s for sure yeah this deer was like uh we had him on trail camera i can't i'm so sad that i can't find the picture but um he was like at&t raising the bar you know he's like 10 8 mm-hmm. 6 4 like one of those deer like you know just like that um but in the context of the void ah <laughs> what uh <laughs> yes. oh yeah we we're not just telling us yeah um what, uh, what ended up happening? Yeah, what ended up happening with the recovery on that one? Uh, so we the first blood we found was like maybe like a few hundred yards away. Like we were just like, okay, can't find any blood. Let's go over. Found a little bit of blood far away, tracked it for a good ways, and then eventually just ran out of blood. Never found it. Mm-hmm. And that made you think that was an instance where you're like, this could have yeah. been blood. Yeah, but at the time. I never heard of, of, of the void. So I was like, man, like it was just one of those shots where it just didn't bleed, bleed good. You know, I, I thought like, okay, it only had one hole. The hole was plugged because of the arrow, you know, the opposite side shoulder caught the arrow. So like only one hole and the hole's plugged and it took off running super fast. And you would, and like my thinking is like just, just a bad, a bad blood trail. Like this was before, like we knew dogs were legal to track or even dogs were able to track deer. And so, like, it was just one of those, like, you know, tough luck, basically. And it was uh, 
a week or so later when I was, when I had a summer job on the grounds crew and we were up there in Miami talking to, uh, the wildlife guys. And Mm -hmm. one of them said something about, there's a hole like a little pocket basically that, that you can run an arrow through or something that if you hit it, like it's non-lethal, it's just basically a flesh wound. And that's the first time I ever heard about the void. Hmm. It's a shame that, uh, I feel like deer uh, tra- tracking with dogs came a long way in the last five years. It's a shame how young, dumb, and stupid we are because that deer was very findable. I believe we would have found uh, yeah, that deer. I think so, like, too. And I think there's a couple instances in the last five years where we would have done that. That was on public, too. Like, a few good public bucks that we would have found. That, But that's neither here nor there. Um, another, another instance of what potentially looked like the void a uh, couple of those that I shot last January or this, this January, a couple months ago. Those do you like think, good. yeah, that's, that's very true. And we can talk about that, but do you think that, that, that buck you shot 2020 at like 70 some yards, do you think that could have been, or you think that was just like, I don't know. Uh, no, that was uh, stupidity on my part for tracking a deer uh, about an hour and a half after we shot him. Cause that deer just, I shot this deer, didn't get great penetration, like eight to 10 inches of penetration. It was like following the red carpet to him. And, and like, it was, it was great it was. blood. Oh yeah. I still have the, yeah, the video. Like we walked up, it was like standing up, like walking. And I remember coming up on this ridge and, um, there was a, there was like a, that, uh, the thick grass in there. And I was like, well, fixing to fixing to find him. And yeah. we took one step into the grass. Here comes a rack out of the grass. I was like, oh, no. Like, but, dude, he was so discombobulated, like, standing up. I still remember that. Like, it I was, never saw him stand up. I just did saw you the see him run away? away? Oh, yeah. but, like, like, and I was the one filming. And at the time, the camera's pointed straight towards the ground because I was, like, in awe. Because I was like, damn, like, that's, like, I knew he was a pretty, he, he was a pretty good buck. But, like, seeing him. 10 yards away, like start standing up and he was like, what's going on? And he was like, Oh, I got to get out of here. Yeah. And like, he was a good buck. He's a very good buck. He was, I don't, I don't think that one was the void either. I think, um, the does that I shot in January, if you were looking for a better example of where the void would be, those were the example, like three inches below the top of the back. Um, and, that if like if 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 i didn't find those deer those would have been a very easy one to be like that was the void and i feel like that's a lot of people's situation they shoot a deer they make a mistake on tracking or you know the blood trail isn't good or some extent to that and or they give up you know some people just give up easy and uh they're like well that was the void you know and i feel like there's a lot of that yeah that's kind of what i touched uh on the video too is like no that's kind of what i touched on in in the video too because like for the most part like shots happen very fast obviously arrows can fly it seems like a thousand feet per second now it seems like and so so for you to like actually see exactly where the shot hit especially when the deer seems like they can do a burpee faster and you can blink it's like do you actually know where you hit it and especially if you're anything like me like sometimes like you get so worked up like when whenever you release like before you release the the shot and especially right after it's like 
sometimes you black out, you know, like you're just like, I think this happened. I don't know. Like I'm lucky if I, if I know what tree he ran by so we can start blood tracking him there, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, I don't think a lot of people realize just, just how quick they can duck and turn and move. And like another instance is like, if they're more quartered away or two than you originally thought, you know, because like, it's all, it's all a different perspective, you know, 18, 15 feet up in a tree. So it's just like, you really don't know. I, I think like really where you hit and that's where filming comes like really helps. Even like, uh, when, before we started filming, there was instances where I would hit a deer. I would know it would be not exactly where I wanted to hit the deer. And I would try to like convince myself like, Oh, wasn't that high, you know, like, or it was just a, a touch low and people, you know, when you're not the one that shot it, you come in with a clear head. You're like, what does a touch low mean? Is that one inch low or is right. that six inches low? And you as the hunter, like, you don't want to be like, well, yeah, it was bad. It was, you know, it was terrible. Like, I don't like doing that. And Brisket. I like it. Yeah. I, I like thinking <laughs> of the, you want to be optimistic, right? Cause what's done is done. The deer shot, the deer has ran off. You're like, well, I think I'm going to get it. Like even the 13 point that I should, the six by seven that I shot last year. Like I didn't want to admit to myself, even with the video footage that I had, I was like, he wasn't quartered that much, you know, he wasn't quartered like that bad. And then I right. w- watched the footage and I was like, he had to have been, or I would have got way better penetration than that on that shot. Um, but videoing has changed uh, the game for us and in terms of like this kind of stuff on remembering where you hit a deer like beforehand it was not a good situation no and and like so like now we have the capability like if you film your hunch you have the capability of slowing things down seeing exactly like where they were positioned you know like did it did it really go in here and especially like that's why we shoot luminox like a because it's better for like content purposes obviously because like Luminox are bad to the bone, it seems like. But like even without somewhat on a camera, you can you can see where they kind of go in. So I don't know, like I guess to, to wrap it around full circle, like if you if you don't have solid evidence, aka like a like a a camera to see exactly where the arrow went in at, where your entry hole is then like you you really don't know because like e- even if you're dead sure like hey i know 100 percent i hit this thing right behind the shoulder well from a previous podcast with the with the uh blood trail expert that's sometimes false you want to go in a little bit about that um yeah let's talk about what um so we had um what's his name it's 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 losing. It's coming away from me now. Uh, he's from Get More Ga- Game Recovery. Yeah, I knew his. I knew his service. Let me let me make a hundred percent. I see his face. Oh, I yeah, I see his face. Yeah, hundred percent. Uh, let me see if, exactly. If you what wouldn't ask me, I would have been able to come. Chad Haleski. That's who it is. Yep. Um, sorry, Chad. Uh, <laughs> he's gonna be like these POS. We're idiots. Uh, no. We know. Chad Haleski, Get More Game Recovery, Michigan. Uh, he tracks over 50 deer a year. Um, he really talked about this. Like, And one of the examples that he gave was uh, what he does when he has a new client that is like, hey, I shot a deer. I need your help tracking. The first thing he does, he sends them a picture of a deer with a diagram on it. He said, where did you hit the deer? Shot chart. A shot chart. Yeah, you've seen them. I'm sure they're on the – I think they're on the DeerCast app has one. I mean, you. anyways, they're out there. Um, 
and he has them estimate like, Hey, I shot it here. I shot it there. And he said, that's kind of one of the issues that he runs into with deer tracking is like a lot of times they find those deer. And if they say they hit it, you know, Oh, I hit it two inches behind the shoulder. He finds it. He's like more like eight, you know, or more like 10. And that's, that's you and your human brain saying, Oh, I, I, it wasn't that bad. You know, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And that's, he said that he saw that quite a bit. Yeah. So, I mean, therefore, like, I guess to bring it all home, like that for the most part is you hit the deer where you don't think you did. And so, and if you think you hit it behind the shoulder and it actually ducked where you backstrapped it or it quartered two, where you maybe just poked the shoulder or something along those lines, like that's more than likely scientifically from like, like the scientific evidence, that's what the void uh, actually is. It's just a, just basically like a backstrap or an, uh, or an, or another non-lethal area that you hit and you just didn't know it. So before we talk about the uh, deer and deer hunting video about the actual anatomy of it, I think there's a few things that we could give uh, people little nuggets on one it's hard to see your arrow where you hit exactly, even when you're videoing, if you're not shooting a Luminoc, it's hard. Oh, right, for sure. Like, it's very hard, especially to your naked eye. Like Jake said, when you black out and things happen, that's very hard too. One, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, well, like, for those who don't film, it's not like, it's not like, like you're watching Gurry Outdoors, right? You, like, nobody has another cameraman that has three different cameras pointing at this deer to get every every uh frame that the arrow is in flight right so for most people it's like hey you know i think i had i got it in frame i don't know i just had the lens all the way zoomed out i hope it's in the frame and so you're sitting there like trying to see a little corner of the screen most of the time if you're self-filming especially public like maybe if you're like hunting private over a feeder like i'm guilty of like like it's not even something to be guilty of but like most of the time like it's going to be where the bad shots happen is probably where uh, you don't expect the deer to come out at. And so if you get a shot off, it's just like, you just got to wing it. And so you're already thinking of so many different things, but like, yeah, kind of like what you were saying, like the, like the camera situation, like it's not all professionally filmed or anything like that. And so like, that's why, that's why it's hard to see the arrow. It is. Yeah. A um, couple things. If you don't film your hunt, an easy way to identify more accurately where you hit is shoot some sort of luminoc, whether that's a nocturnal, whether that's a luminoc. I would recommend that for any everybody. Yeah, they're expensive. They really are. They're like ten or fifteen dollars. They last though. They do. If you yeah. can find them, yeah, you can find them. The battery's good. Um, I think some of them you can even replace the batteries. That's good. Um, filming is a great one. Like you get the deer on film, that's going to give you so much more um, evidence. And I love filming because filming is agnostic. Filming doesn't get worked up. And it doesn't using have, your big words. What is it? Doesn't have high mean? blood pressure. Like when I'm sitting, uh, when I'm sitting watching a shot after a uh, after I'm all jacked up, it doesn't care that I'm all jacked up. It's showing me exactly what happened. Okay, um, you see, you use these big words to sound more photosynthesis, and I like I just don't <laughs> like it. <laughs> that's funny. Um, so shoot light and knocks and film your hunts. That's that's a couple things you can do just to know exactly where you hit. But um, more back onto the void topic before we give our uh, 
our opinions. Uh, what did you learn from the deer and deer hunting video and the research you did about like the anatomy? So I think, uh, I think his name is Brian Johnson, who was like, uh, doing the little mini seminar of the, of the roadkill doe, but he basically explained that like, there's no gap and that the lungs actually sit up higher than the backbone. So the backbone is lower within the deer's anatomy than a lot of <clears throat> anatomy like diagrams, uh, usually show. And so, yeah, so basically you have the backbone and then you have the ribs that kind of like circle up a little ways. And then obviously the lungs fill that, fill basically the whole rib cage and that the rib cage is basically like, like a little small vacuum sealed thing. Mm. And so it would take an arrow or a projectile of some sort to uh, poke a hole in that. And then that's when it just discombobulates everything. And, 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 you know, lungs collapse and hopefully two lungs collapse. And, uh, but yeah, so basically like that means since it's like a vacuum sealed thing, there's no void dead zone, no man's land, uh, ball of nothingness. In Whatever you want to call it. Yeah. The white tail's chest cavity. That, that, uh, seemed really conclusive. I liked the way he did it where he stripped away all the meat from the ribs and stuff. There was one thing that you mentioned in the video where you talked about like when he was inflating the lungs to like show exactly how they sat. It did look like he was inflating him to the point of like popping. Like right. And and that's that's, that's what kind of that's kind of where, where where I think like the void could possibly still be real, right? But I read a comment and again, like who is this guy? We really don't know, but he threw out his credentials like like he's like a like a, uh, something to do with lungs. Like he's like a lung expert, like obviously not for a deer, I don't think, but like, I think for humans or something. And that's, really? that's where I like, he, he was in the comments. I forget, but that's where I got like the whole vacuum sealed thing. Like Brian Johnson did a really good job of explaining everything, but I, but I kind of wondered that too. Like I was trying to read through the comments like, Oh man, he inflated them too much. Like how much, like actually how much PSI is supposed to go in the, in the, uh, in the white tails lungs. And so I, mm -hmm. I was going, going through the comments seen that one and he was like i'm a lung expert this yada 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 and that's where i basically learned that like it is like a vacuum seal and that so the lungs don't actually inflate and deflate without the rib cage right so basically the lungs and the rib cage stay in in place but the diaphragm does its thing and so the rib cage expands and when the rib cage expands, the lungs expand mm, and then they expand then with it when it, yeah, exactly. So therefore there's no like gap, like, okay, Oh, there's this much gap between the lungs and the rib cage and the spine. No, everything like when the diaphragm works, it inflates or it, uh, expands the rib cage. Therefore it inflates the lungs. And also when it decompresses, exhales, everything, you know, everything decompresses. So therefore the way that guy commented and explained it, that was like that was like the light bulb moment for me. But who is this guy? Does he actually know? He sounded legit. I guess, I guess you could type and spell and sound smart. Like anything can sound legit. But I mean, that was that. But also, if you just take that comment aside and go from Brian's demonstration, it's just like there's still a possibility that the void theory could be real. What about one of these deer that, uh, 
I'm trying to think of like a, a huge, I'm trying to make a comparison here with like a human, like people that are on like a ventilator and they have like weak lungs. Is there deer that have like weak lungs and their capacity is way lower? You know, could there be a void on one of those? Mm, yeah, but a super obese deer just sits on the lung capacity goes down. <laughs> Little corn thief. Uh, I don't know. Like, I don't know because like the, it, it, if you look at it from that, 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 uh, lung experts like view, then it's just like, okay, then he should have like a, I don't know. Diaphragm. Yeah. Like, like I'm just not smart enough. Right. And obviously there's a lot of people not smart enough where this wouldn't be a, be as big as a controversy as it is. Well, how many people, have what do you think? A, I, how many people have cut open a live deer and watched its lungs inflate? Well, that's the thing. That's the thing. Cause like the way he was demonstrating, yeah, that's on a roadkill doe, right? Like he had a lot of things stripped away. Like I, you don't know. You, you do not know. From an anatomical point of view, from the anatomy that I've seen in the videos that I've watched, my initial reaction is no, I do no not void. think that the void is real, but, but I do think there are some scenarios that do support like something like this, but I think there are conclusions to those. And I, I wrote a couple of those out. So one, a couple of things to consider. One is we hunt the South, right? For the most part, uh, we don't hunt deer that have like big fat storages. Like I do sometimes in Southwest, but you get into these Kansas and these Midwest deer, they can have three, four five inches of fat and meat above the spine. Right. Basically like I, I basically above. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I've seen that on some of the deer that I've shot in Southwest Oklahoma, like you're pulling on a, off a strip of fat that is thick. Um, so I, I think that's what happened when I shot that big buck, uh, at Jesse's that one time was I hit above the spine. I really believe that like that deer mm. ducked enough where I hit above the spine and that deer recovered. Yeah. Jesse um, had on camera, didn't he? Yeah. I found his sheds. I have his, I have his sheds. Um, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Yeah. But I believe that there's on a big deer, there is enough fat where you can hit it high and be above the spine. I, I really believe that. Is that going to be most people's experience in the South? Probably not. You know, like you hit a 110, 115 pound buck. There's no fat to miss above. The, there's no meat to miss above. The All spine. those acorn fed bucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, um, here's another thing to consider depending on if you're high, if you're low, if you're shooting down on a deer, what orientation you are above them. Uh, let's say you hit a deer in the chest cavity. You think there's a void and you hit a single lung. Well, a deer can survive a single lung. That's that. That was my number one argument is like, it's rare, but deer can survive a single lung hit. They, they can, they a hundred percent can. So it's like, is there a void? Maybe, but to say that's saying, but to say that there's a, like, you can't assume that every deer that's hitting the lungs is going to die. Most will, right? But mm -hmm. if you hit a deer in the single lung, I think there's just too many instances of deer living on so, single hits. So humor me a little bit because, again, I'm not, I'm not the end-all, be-all tracking expert, obviously. But <laughs> the higher you hit on a deer, most of the time, the less blood usually leaks out, right? Yeah. If that you, I have experienced it. Now obviously I'm not I'm not trying to go as stupid as okay, if you if you have a bucket full of water and you punch a hole in the top, you know, like and then you slosh it around only so much is going to come out. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm like 
I get like it's not basically just a bucket of blood. I get that. Yeah. But from my experiences, it seems like those those deer that are kind of shot high tend to bleed a little bit less. Now, I don't know if that's due just because of the shot placement of it being a little bit higher in the body. And so like, but, and then the shots that are a little bit lower, it seems like they can like, like they can leak and you still might not find them, you know, because like, but it just seems like the lower you go, typically the more blood comes out or the, or the better blood trail you have. That was one of the, sec- uh, one of the things that Chad, we asked Chad directly when he was on talking about blood trailing and tracking was if you had to pick a high, like let's say directly behind the shoulder, if you had to pick three inches high or three inches low, which one would you rather have? And he said, low, like you got to think low, you have all the gravity working for you. Right. So, um, you're going to have more blood. Also the heart is low, right? You hit a deer Mm -hmm. high in the shoulder. There's already, unless you get, get an artery, there's not a lot of goodies. Like a lot of those vitals aren't tucked up high they're tucked low so you can hit a deer two inches above the white on it and and smoke it in the heart good example is the seven point that i shot uh this year it looked like i barely nicked him like barely touched the deer i heart punched him they ran 30 yards and fell over mm, yeah that is, um, yeah that's not a, gonna happen a wide load a wide load yeah <laughs> a pencil horn um <laughs> yeah but the reason i bring up the high the high shot is just because like the Hunter's Advantage podcast is powered by Out on a Limb Manufacturing. Out on a Limb is a family-owned company based right here in Oklahoma that makes tree stands, saddle platforms, climbing sticks, and so much more. Christian, I have a quick question. What's that? What bites sound harder, a hippo or an alligator? No idea. It's a trick question. The Ridge Runner 2.0 bites harder than both of them. But all jokes aside, we use these products all across the land on public or private. These help us get into any tree we want and hunt where the deer actually are. Most men go to the grocery store for their meat, but these products help you go to God's grocery store. I have used the Out on a Limb Ridge Runner 2.0 and the Shakar Sticks for the last few years hunting public land bucks, and I've actually shot several bucks out of this setup. If you want to support the podcast and get some Out on a Limb equipment, make sure to go to outonalimmfg.com and use code HNTA10 for 10% off at checkout. Once again, if you want to support the podcast... Go to outonalimmfg.com and use code HNTA10 at checkout for 10% off. Now let's get back to the podcast. So the reason I brought up the 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 high shot is just because like even if it even if that shot is fatal and it and it doesn't bleed that well, kind of like maybe, maybe that's what happened to my buck on public that we you know, we talked about that that uh 12 point. Maybe it was fatal, but the blood just wasn't good, right? That doesn't necessarily mean, oh, shot it, I thought good, you know, bad blood, it's the void. No, maybe I only clipped one lung because it was sort of kind of quartered away. I did hit it right behind the shoulder. And if you think about it, like, it could possibly have just clipped one lung. And so, yes, there's a rare chance of it living. And yeah, and, and did it die? I think so, just because it was the way it acted, the way it roared, all that stuff. And so, like, there's always those possibilities too. There is. Like, and I will bring this up for like the third time. The two does I shot in January, me when we walked up to them, I hit them both high. They were super spooky. Um, it I I mean, I legitimately hit them like two or three inches like below the top of their back. And but I they was, they dropped. They they hit the deck. Yeah, they hit the deck, but um they were both spraying blood 
as they ran away. And I was like, man, like I hit them both in the artery. I didn't understand that though. Well, I guess it had to have been an artery then, huh? That's what I thought. Like, okay, I hit them both in this artery that runs, you know, right below the spine. Like that's what you were, that's what I was thinking. Um, and th- that was our initial reaction. When Jake and I walked up to both of them, they were both terrible blood trails. We walked up to the first one. Jake's like, you artery hit this one. I was like, oh, dang. Then we went and found the other one like 200 yards away. He was like, you artery hit this one too. And I was like, dang, dude, I didn't even get into the cavity on either one of these deer was what I was thinking. Well, I wouldn't usually gut them because I would just usually skin them out and quarter them like right there. But I was like, I'm going to gut these deer because I want to see what exactly what happened. Um, and I took video of it and it is in the video of this hunt. And I hit both of them in they I got double both pass throughs through the rib cages double lunged both of them now it was like this far below the spine like one or two inches below Were you the shooting spine. a fixed fixed blade yeah busted through two holes in a hole on either side of the rib cage and it was in the cavity like I double lunged them I both. wouldn't have thought that from 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 watching the video no it looks like oh hey you barely nicked them you hit them in that artery um I think every deer is different, right? Like depending on the fat content that's on top of the back strap or depending if it's a Midwest deer or if it's a buck, where you hit that deer, some deer can get hit way above the spine and be good. These ones, there was no extra fat on top of them, you know? So it was like I hit them two inches below and the spine was basically right at the edge of their back. So that was a good example for me of like on these particular deer, there's no way that you're going to hit something that you would call the void. Cause there's nothing there. There's the spine in the cage, mm-hmm. the rib cage. Now these were late season deer. They had no fat. So that's something to consider. But like we were talking about on the high chest hits, uh, the blood trails sucked. And if I didn't have that video evidence of, Hey, I know they were spraying blood as they ran away and I know they were okay shots. I might've just looked for the first hundred yards and been like, dude, the blood sucks. I'm not going to find them. I just just kebobbed them. That's what I might've thought, but yeah, wasn't the case. It's wild. So if you were to boil it down into, okay, I'm going to ask you this since you asked me this and I didn't return the favor before the video, before all this, just from your anecdotal proof or anecdotal evidence, did you think the void was real? I wasn't swayed one direction, but I thought it could be. I definitely was not ruling it out. I was like, there's a chance that this. Okay. So if you're standing on top of this mountain and the mountain's like, the point of like a ballpoint pen mm. and, and you had to lean one way or the other, which way are you going as like right now after no. watching the video, then, then, then I'd probably say it's BS if I had to pick one. Yeah. In the beginning. And okay. if I had to pick one today, I would still say yep. it's probably, probably okay. baloney. Okay. Um, based on all the things that we laid out, right. Bad blood trails, uh, not videoing your shots, knowing, not knowing exactly where you hit the deer. That is the kind of stuff that I'm saying gives me the confidence that the void isn't real. Could that happen? I'm sure it has happened to some folks in actuality, and I'm sure it will happen again. But I think 90% of those people that are in the comments that are saying it happened to me. They had this experiences. Yeah. I don't, I just don't agree. That's, that's literally what I was about to say is like, is like, I, I think that, Damn it! That was my argument for for my 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 ending thoughts. For your takeaway, like, yeah, just like I think it could spot. Like even after the research, I think it could. And people's gonna call me idiots. It's like how could you look at all this evidence and then and then then think this still? It's just like well, 
because like we said, until we get a live deer and basically while it's still walking, just hurry up and go and rip away its outer goods where we see the rib cage and the lungs and everything's still pumping. Sounds awful. That's why we haven't did it yet, I assume. And I don't want to say one way or the other, but I, but kind of, kind of like you just said, I, I do think that probably 95% of the people, including myself, that you know yeah. that me having that run in with the void or whatever, I think I probably clipped one lung. Not, you know, and it probably expired somewhere. And we could have found that deer. I, I really, yeah, yeah, that. yeah. I, I agree. But I, I think 95% of the people, including myself, just make bad shots or think they made a good shot and actually made a, a, a bad shot or a marginal shot and didn't recover the deer. I believe 95% of the people didn't hit the void. There could be 5% or less that you never know. Yeah, I agree. So, what are the, the I'm going to tell my takeaways on, maybe how to uh, prevent void arguments with yourself, <laughs> getting yourself. I think the best way to not get pissed off about the void is just not hit anything that's relatively close to the void. So I think one of my takeaways from watching the video and all the research that you did was it's okay to cheat a little low for me. I like to cheat a little low, like, and I would much rather hit a deer low than high. Um, I just think you have a lot more good things working for you if you hit low than high. That is my main takeaway on the stuff that you got, you did on the Boyd. That's true. I've rarely seen a deer jump into a shot. I've seen a lot <laughs> of them duck into a shot. So, yeah, holding low seems like the smart, the smart answer. I don't know. My grandpa told me he said, uh, "Oh no, <laughs> he, yeah." He said that there was. You know, 30, 40 years ago, there were the, there were some deer that were so jumpy that he tried to shoot one with his uh, with his bow, no sights, and he said he swear before the arrow get there, the deer jumped up and it went under its belly, and I was like, what? I've never heard of that happening. No, so <laughs> that reminds me because like I was I was uh for some like. I have certain podcasts saved and if I don't have the best signal, it, like my phone will like glitch out and then all of a sudden it'll, it'll play something that I already have downloaded, like just no matter what. And it played the Charles Beatty, Pat Lane podcast that, that we did. Uh, Nick, I don't know how long ago it's been last summer a year. Yeah. Yep. And uh, so I was, I was doing work. So I was like, well, I, I'm not going to change it. I haven't listened to this in a while. It'll be good. What you just said about the deer jumping, it made me think of, of of what Charlie said about uh he he was taking someone hunting and he said like they, they started calling and rattling in a, in a buck and this buck got so close he said he said Charlie was like I like basically he was I don't know if he was too scared to move or he just wasn't going to move because he was waiting on his buddy to shoot and so he said I just sat there covering my face with my hands and he said. I just heard this deer walk past me and he said it basically licked my buddy's nose for him. And he said, but as soon as that deer realized what we were, he said, I don't know how they do this, but it's like his head went between his legs and out his ass. He said, <laughs> he said they can just move so quick. And like, I just, I lost it. I lost it the way he said that. And, uh, if, if you go back and, and, and listen to the podcast, like we, Cause, cause you were interviewing both of them and I was sitting on your couch, just listening into the whole thing. And like, you could hear everybody just start dying. Cause like, that was, that was hilarious. That's awesome. Yeah. It goes between the legs and out his ass. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> my uh, my grandpa said when he when that happened to him, when that deer jumped that arrow, he said he went home, got the chainsaw, and cut that tree down. And that was the last day he ever bow hunt. Victor? That's the last. Yeah, that was the last time he ever bow hunted. He said, "I'm I'm sick of this." So he went and Gosh, cut the tree dang. down. He said it was one. It was an awesome tree that like had so many branches from the bottom that you could climb up it without oh, a ladder. Really? And like he sat like 12, 15 foot off the ground up there. And he was like, it, I, I hate myself for cutting it down. He was like, it was an awesome bow hunting tree, but yeah. Yep. That's how it went. Hunting will make you do that. Yeah. It'll drive the man insane. <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about the, uh, well, you got any other closing thoughts about the void besides go watch the video and yeah, that's what I was about to say. Like, if you want to hear anything else about it, be sure you check out the video and subscribe. Damn it. Like it doesn't cost you a thing to subscribe. True. But it helps. It watch helps the us. video, share it, do it. Uh, so we're going to do, we got a few questions from Instagram and then we'll wrap this up. So I'll read the first one. It comes from Watson Ranch Outdoors. He says, how to grow simple cover crops. Apparently, Watson has not been following us for very long because we are not he farmers. Might have, <laughs> he might have hooked on when uh, we had Noah on, though. He, he may have jumped on that boat. He may have. Um, yeah, we, we are not uh, habitat management experts. The only way that I have ever done cover is called this thing called not mowing that's mm. that's how i've done it what about you jake so in a in a not so i actually seen this question and i was like you know what for once instead of just saying that like we, we're not big into like the food plot type and habitat management type thing i literally googled simple cover crops just so we wouldn't have like that sort of answer and the easiest cover crop that Google said would be clover. And cover? I think, and when I Googled cover, cover crops, I thought that's what he was saying. Like those tall grasses where it'd be easier for you for, for like your entry and exit routes. That's what I thought. But again, how, how property management savvy we are, or at least I am, I, I, I just went from what Google told me. And so I assumed that cover crops is something to do with like your food plots, like what you what you have thrown down as extra, like on top of like your your uh, radishes and stuff like that, you know, because like mm -hmm. obviously they're not just going to like cover the whole food plot, so you need those those extra. That's what I gathered, and so that's shows you how much I, I know. Exactly, that's the way I I could be wrong. Do your own research, but that's the way I took it, and the crimson clover because. It grows really well in different soil types. So possibly where you're at in the country, it might still be able to grow and deer are attracted to them and will eat them. There you go. Uh, I think one point I wanted to make on that is it's not because we, we're not habitat experts because we don't want to be, but when we're landowners, I think you guys will see an evolution of the podcast where sure. we start talking more about bedding area and habitat improvement and timber sand improvement. We're going to start doing more and more of that stuff right now, though. We Until land prices go down, we're not going to be that that type. So maybe in a next life. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, funny. All right. So the next one. Oh, it's now exited off. Dadgummit. 
comes from Mason B43. Wonder who that is. Oh, that guy. Uh, benefits for saddle hunting, pros and cons. All right. Do you want to take the pros or you want to take the cons? Or if you just want to name a few, few both, and I can name a few both. It doesn't matter. Okay. Pros. Uh, packability, huge one for me. Um, okay. Goes on, uh, goes on a backpack real easy. You wear the saddle in, so the whole package is. It'll save you a few pounds of weight, but really, it's the packability. Nothing is grabbing onto uh, sticks and limbs as you're walking through thick cover. So it's just very, very packable. Um, another pro of the saddle is mobility like it's really easy to go around the tree i really like that about it you know you're not you don't have a primary just one dominant shooting side like you do out of a a tree stand you can kind of pivot around the whole tree and i do really think in 2021 that was why i was able to shoot one of my buffs shot mobility yeah shot mobility being able to move around the tree uh cons price saddles are expensive not 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 everything is expensive about it it's just all the little pieces I have an argument point to that or uh, whatever you call it. Uh, counterpoint. Counterpoint. Yes. The price is a little hairy. Yes. But the thing is like, you don't need to buy another stand, like another hang on. You, like, and if you're the type of person that, that, that likes hang on, like a lot of hang ons, like I want to set one up here. I want to set one up here. That eliminates that. You know what I mean? And then yeah. sooner or later, you're going to have to change ratchet straps because Typically, especially on private land, if you have, if you're that guy that has a whole lot of hang-ons, then more than likely, at least what I do sometimes is I change the ratchet straps each year. I don't always do that, depending on you know like how ragged they look, and I probably shouldn't do that. But I think in the long run, you'll save money. So basically, you're putting all the money up front, and you're and you're basically it's paying for itself on down the road. Yeah. And it's buy once, cry once for sure. It's like any good gear. You want a good bow, it's gonna be fifteen hundred bucks. You want a good saddle setup, it's gonna be um, gonna be a little pricey. But I mean, I have loved hunting out of a saddle for the last few years. I think it's been awesome. And out on a limb makes some freaking awesome saddle gear. Like not only the sticks that weigh just over a pound a piece with the shikars, but they make a, a platform called the Ridge Runner two point I like that one. That sucker gets is pissed off at the tree. Like it bites. <laughs> I know you see a lot of saddle uh, platform reviews, like when people are in them and they're, they, one of the big uh, criteria that they um, evaluate them on is side pressure. Like they'll jump on one side of it and then jump on the other side just to see if the platform will kind of work its way over one way. That is not a problem with the Ridge Runner 2.0. It cams over and that thing has two points of contact. It is a, it bites to the tree really really good and that's the same thing with the shikar sticks i mean they that's the saddle hunting setup right there shikars and the ridge runner 2.0 from out on a limb and all go ahead i was just gonna say also whichever preference like like you like within a platform you're gonna get like if you like a big a big platform with with, with a whole lot of feet room they got it if you if if you're the type if you're basically a minimalist is that how you say it minimalist minimalist yes uh saddle saddle hunter then they got those like uh what's one stickers. the yeah yeah what's the super small one called the is it the roost no they have the rut roost which is like an extra plate a seat um they have a a monarch what is it called that's not anyways they got a super small one like that and plus like my my uh 
platform I use, you seat up with it. So whichever way, like you feel more comfortable with like hanging your, your, your setup, like I got the podium. So you got to seat it up and then press down. And then with like the Ridge runner, you basically like strap it and then seat it down and then push the platform down. And so like whichever, and I'm not trying to like go off on it or anything, but like, it's super good gear. Yeah. It's a solo scout they have and then the Monarch. So they can, right. they can go on top of the stick or whatever. Yeah. Anyways, there's a saddle hunting platform for everyone. Um, and they make awesome gear and we yeah. run cruiser saddles too. Those are, those are really nice. All but, right. And to go quick, my pros saddles are super safe, right? Like that's there's true. really no disconnecting from the tree, your lineman's belt. And then, you know, you get up there, you hook your, uh, tether on release your lineman's belt if you want to. And, uh, like you're never not connected to the tree, if that makes sense. And so super safe, uh, you, it, it's quieter, like walking through, you don't have a big old, uh, and I guess that kind of goes under your, your packability, but like, it's not hanging off, hanging off limbs, trying to, trying to, trying to pack it through. It's not sitting on top of your, your, your bag, uh, covered shooting mobility. And then like cons, uh, I think this one, I think everybody's pretty guilty of this con. I think a lot of people tend to move a lot more in a saddle because before yeah. I was a saddle hunter, when, whenever I think it was 2021, we were on public, you tagged out and we were, we were hunting together at the community center. I was still on a lot in a lock on. And when I, when I hunt, like, I'm not kidding. I'm like this. I feel like at least, and I feel like I'm a statue because <laughs> I, I'm afraid of deer seeing me like, you know, like walking in behind me or something. I just don't want to move. And I noticed because like, that's like, like, especially like if you're on a, on a week long trip and like, normally if you're just hunt, hunting with a buddy, it's just like, yeah, whatever. You're just kind of there to have a good time. Sometimes if you're like a few days into a rutcation or something, and especially if you know your buddy's already tagged out and he just sitting there going like this in the tree and just kind of swaying. I felt like that's what you were doing. I know you weren't to that extent, but like at the time, that's that's the way my mindset was was thinking. I was like, man, this this dude's moving a lot. Like if one walks in, we're gonna get busted. And and I and I thought you were moving a lot. And I was like, that's that's a big con of the saddle, like already. And then I got into a saddle, and then all of a sudden I would like this last season, I would catch myself just start swaying and moving around. And I'm like, I bet you this happens to everybody. Cause like I caught this before I even owned a saddle and then myself, I'm doing it. And it's just like, I feel like a lot of people move more, more than they usually would. Uh, and then another con you, you mentioned price point. And then a lot of people say like swapping out layers, like clothing layers. Like, you, you know, you, you, you walk in, okay. It's super cold. I want to put another lay on. Typically people do that before they get into the tree. Mm. And then like, let's say you're, you hunt all day, you hunt in the morning, noon, it gets hot, strip off layers. I usually don't see that problem. Like I see that on a lot of online forums that like people's like, Oh, you can't really, uh, adjust like your clothing in a tree. Well, I don't really think you're supposed to like on all day sits. How many people yeah, actually go on all day sits? I doubt a whole lot. And it's just like, you're basically in a diaper, anything upper. That's not like a big old onesie you can take off. So I just don't see that viewpoint, but I have not had that problem. Anyways, I throw, I change my, uh, 
I change my hoodie or put my big jacket on all the time. So I don't, right. I don't do that. I think the number one con of the saddle is it's an investment in the front end. And that's pretty much, that's pretty much it for me. Also, uh, they seem more complicated at first. Like whenever you're trying to get into the saddle game, you're like, what the hell's a tether? Like, like, Oh, you got all these ropes connecting you. Like it's not, it that overwhelming. seems, yeah, it seems very overwhelming, but once you actually get it and you set it up once you've set it up a million times, it seems like, yeah, I agree. Uh, one last question. T Pritch 30 says most overrated tactics. And I assume what he means by that is like overrated hunting tactics. I tried mm. to think about this one for a little bit. Like, what are some things that are kind of hot that are overrated right now? Like, what are styles of people? Do you, th- you have any? You're smiling. It sounds like you got one. I do, but but I want to hear your answer first. No, I don't have any. Okay, so that was that was mine because because I was trying to think. I was like, well, what do you mean by tactics? Like like is it like techniques? Like is it the is it like the, you know, like maybe trying to rattle, trying to call too much, stuff like that. But then I like, cause I thought about this one too. And I was like, well, who am I to say something's overrated, right? Because like you can hunt however you want. You can, you can hunt in blue jeans and a flannel shirt. And as you like to say, play the grunt flute and <laughs> yeah. one might, might come strolling in. Like, it's just, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be right. So like, who am I to say like, if something's overrated or not, but I will say this. We recently did a podcast and before this podcast, I would, uh, this would have been my answer 100%. And it is the over, the over glorified scent eliminate scent eliminating, uh, method, I would say. Mm -hmm. And this would be a hundred percent an overrated tactic. But we recently jumped on a podcast with oh, John, and uh, yes, and as a lot of people know, he's like super big into uh, like like the scent lock, the carbon. Uh, I'm not smart. Help me out with the words. The carbon activated carbon. What it is? Yes, and basically, in a nutshell, he doesn't play the wind like for his own scent. Like he he still plays the wind like to base it off of how the deer will use the wind, but for yeah. himself and the scent, he, he does not watch the wind whatsoever. And that's due to his scent eliminating, uh, active carbon suit method of hunting. And before I would say that would have been completely BS. And that would have been my, uh, overuse tactic or whatever. But after listening to him talk and I feel like everybody needs to go listen to that. If you haven't already, Mm-hmm. it's 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 really good and it, it kind of makes me think there might be something to that especially like because because i thought about this the other day i was like that would really be like again we haven't tested it but like that would really be beneficial especially like in the mountainous area where we hunt where you could look on your your weather app and it could be saying oh the wind's blowing northeast today well you get down there in one of them bowls it could be blowing <laughs> southwest south. yeah literally <laughs> and it's just like and then in two hours it might change and it's just like well if that suit actually works and, and if his and if his method actually works, that would literally be a game changer because it's just like you already don't know really where the wind's going to blow until you get to that tree. And then even though even if you do know and it's like, OK, the wind's probably right in that mountain area where we hunt, it's just like you don't know really where the deer's going to come out at even because yep. the way we got it. They bed. I don't I don't think they do way. either. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> there, there ain't no rhyme or reason which way they come in. 
And so, like, I was thinking, I was like, that that might be a game changer down there. But I don't know. I think the one that I thought about was, uh, especially in the context of public land, was like that's overrated is like bump and dump. I like bump and dumping. I like jumping deer to, I don't like jumping deer. Take that back. Don't ever quote me on that. Um, <laughs> you hear it here, here folks. <laughs> I just hear folks. I, if I jump a deer, I take it as encouragement more than I do discouragement. Cause I'm like, okay, there's deer here. I, I think, um, with bump and dump, like people have gotten extremely comfortable just trekking all around and being like, mm. well, I'm not going to hunt until I jump one until I find a big buck that's jumped, you know, and then I'll get up in a tree. It's like, Big Buck is not going to let you probably see him run away for the most part. Like he's going to, he's going to see you and, and run off. So I think that's over, that could be overrated in the context of public land. Um, I think it gives people a, it's like anything, right? Like you take it and out of context and use it in the wrong way. It's going to be detrimental. And I see a lot of that. A lot of people doing that. People, people, like you said, trek, trek their way through instead of hunting or scouting their way through. Yes. And then yeah. also, in the bump and up strategy, whenever you were saying that I did think of a flaw and this might've been what you're trying to touch on is when you said a big buck, wasn't going to let you watch him run away. To me personally, I think big bucks don't run away. I think they just stay in their bed and watch you walk, walk past. That makes me so sad. I wish they would run away. Do you not agree though? I told it depending on where you, the environment that you hunt, but in the context of where we hunt, Right. And that's I, basically where I try to base everything off of. I a hundred percent agree with that. Like how many deer have I walked by that are just like, cause, and I noticed this one time when we were postseason scouting one time in a, in a uh, select cut. So there had been a lot of uh, native grasses, like really tall, but everything was dead because it was postseason basically, or the end part of the season, there was a doe that was laying in the grass. And I think she thought she was way more hidden than she was in that grass. And she was just watching us like walk by and i was like dude she's not getting up and like we walked towards her and she was just like what well, i think she thought they don't see me or they can't see me i mean where I if am. they feel comfortable i mean i'm sure i'm sure like there's quite a bit of coyotes and stuff down there so like i'm sure they're like hey i feel like this is pretty bulletproof and you when you think about the color of those grasses they are not at risk for you seeing them a good example remember when i shot my buck uh that we jumped on public that one time and I was going to go shoot him again. We were seven yards from him. Right. Following a blood trail. And he was in the grass and someone was like, he's right there. And I was like, I don't see what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. He was seven yards away. On What's the that ground. video called? Uh, public land warrior buck. Hold on one second. I'll find exactly what it is. A uh, toughest buck ever. Y'all can actually see that deer. on footage. Like yeah. a play by play. It is. It's bad to the bone. Yeah, toughest buck ever, bow hunting warrior deer on Oklahoma public land. That's on the Hunter's Advantage main channel. Um, you can see it in the video. Like that deer, seven yards away, and if you like stare and squint, you can start to see outlines of horns, and you're like, "Oh, there he is!" But I can't tell you the amount of giants I've probably walked 15, 20 yards by. Well, just... one last example. I mean, this is this isn't a good example as as you just said, but uh, the biggest buck we've probably ever seen on hoof to this date. Yeah, Mr. Krabs. Mr. Krabs. And he was bedded. And the thing is, we didn't see him. We didn't see him. There was there was this there was this like old beat down road. And there was like a smaller buck and a few doe bedding down on this road. And what what do the mature bucks do? They're not they're not gonna lay down in an open edge or something like that. We didn't see this buck until 
we were like, hey, let's just get as close as we can to them. Like we weren't really trying to hide by by no means, but we didn't even see that buck. Granted, we didn't have no binos or anything, but we were only like what? How far? I don't know. I don't know. 100, 100 years away? 150 years Maybe. away? Maybe. Not and far. We started getting closer and closer, and all of a sudden, like it was, it was beautiful. Wind was blowing in our face. We were heading towards them, and they were bedded looking the opposite way. Well, as soon as we got relatively close, like probably like I'd say 100 yards, yeah, uh, they get up and seen us, and all of a sudden, one deer starts running away. All the does start running away. And then how big do you think the other buck was that, that was with them? mid 120s maybe 130 max and christy has a video on his phone still and it's grainy as heck but maybe you can pop that up maybe not but uh that actually might give away too much on location so probably not yeah probably. uh <laughs> so yeah like, like like a 120 125 buck starts running away and then all of a sudden just out of thin air easily a 170 net deer is just gliding i don't even think big deer like that even walk or run i think they just glide and levitate and they <laughs> no, i'm not kidding just just up and over that hill and we we're like where did he come from grass another good example i think maybe what if because because that just makes me think what if those other deer weren't there and he was just bedded right there would we have walked right by him and not even seen him probably or do I you think he, he would have busted out like obviously we don't know but I think for the most part, those deer like let you walk by and in my experience, well, I say in my experience as I don't see them, but yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> in my experience, <laughs> that's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, wrapping up here. What, what do we got news since we last been on the podcast? We got the Johnny Eberhardt podcast that came out. That one was awesome. You guys want like a heavily pressured buck hunting on public land, like masterclass. That is a great podcast episode. We have a video version. I know 95% of the people that listen to the podcast are on Spotify or Apple or Google Podcasts or Stitcher or whatever, but we have a video version. Um, it's pretty cool. So go check out our second channel, Hunter's Advantage Podcast. It's a slightly different, uh, it's the same logo, just a different color. And doesn't mean we, you can't subscribe though. Yeah. Appreciate you subscribing. Uh, new video. We have the Void video out now so we thought this whole episode was pretty much based around the void that video is out you got to go watch it for jake because he put a lot of time into researching and filming that we got it we got another video on the horizon uh basically make sure that uh, you click the bell notification because there's another video coming out that's right uh awesome podcast coming next week absolute whitetail killer he also starts with the j gosh we're on a roll with the j's we really and, are. And again, guys, I know when you hear white cell killer, he you starts think with the Jake, J, you immediately think of at Jake underscore Gaylord, but <laughs> shockingly, that's not who we're talking about. No, this man is much older and much wiser and probably has more big bucks and more hair. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, we got a, we got a really awesome guy coming on next week. Uh, so, with that, go check out the YouTube. Make please. We're trying to get to 100, 100 rating reviews on Spotify and Apple. Like we have we 80, 83 on Apple and like 40 on Spotify. Please go leave us a five-star rating interview. Um, and if you send us a message, we might just send you a uh, unreleased hat that we're working on. That's a nice way to incentivize some folks. Yeah, for $25. 
No, I'm saying one person. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, thank you guys. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks for supporting us. And uh, we'll catch you guys in the next episode. Jesus loves you. Bye. Thank you guys so much for checking out the Hunter's Advantage podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcast, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you guys so much, and we'll see you in the next episode.